everybody. My name is Brian Wren, and I'm one of your pastors here on staff. It's good to be with you. Being free, isn't that what we all want? It's just to be free a little bit more. I don't know about you, but uh, there's moments in my life where I'm not free. I feel bound. Sometimes I get bound by the stuff in my life that I get overly attached to and the habits that I get myself involved in, and I'm just not free from that. And then it's crazy. And sometimes like, I'll make up these rules in my life that I get bound to. And if I don't do certain things, I then don't feel good. And in the end, they just enslave me also. Anybody else relate to that? You ever have struggles with being free? I was with a a friend, and he said to me this line, uh, which struck me. It says, am I really free through just faith in Christ based on my sinfulness? And what had happened in his life, he'd done this. He had finally gotten honest about stuff in his life. And in the process of getting honest, he realized he was over in this category of being caught in some habits and some wrong that were really destructive in his life. And he realized that had a counter effect on his relationships, his marriage, with his kids, and even men in his life that he was connected with. But he got honest about that. He got honest about that. But it was a month, weeks into it, this was a journey with someone, and the reality, he said to me, am I really free, though, from this sin I've been involved with just by faith in Christ? And I said, well, all right, tell me about that. What do you mean? And he said, well, I don't feel free. Can you relate to that? I don't feel free. I know if I confess it, God forgives me. Christ died for me. The Spirit of God's in me. But I don't feel free. And I said, well, when do you feel most free with regards to that sin issue in your life? And he says, when I talk to God about it. And I said, that's good. And I go, when else do you feel free? He says, when I read my Bible. And he goes, and when I'm serving, he goes, I feel like I'm making up for it. It's good. Isn't that good? And I went, not good. I said, you're one for three. Okay? I said, he knows you. He loves you. He forgives you. I said, why do you think you feel so good when you're in that relationship with him but you still feel like you got to make it up to him by being really good at reading your Bible, by observing church on Sunday, by serving. And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, tell me about your relationship with your dad. It was a train wreck. His dad was never satisfied with him. So there's some parallel. Do you see that? And so he was struggling with being free. Just being free. But then he says to me, well, can I be really honest with you, Brian? I said, sure, we're doing good so far. He said, "Uh, I don't know if I'm really free from this sin. And I said, well, tell me about that. And he said, sometimes I go back to it. He goes, this is the thing that's caused the most destruction in my life. And I still sometimes go back to it. This is crazy. He goes, aren't I supposed to be fully free of this? Like cut off, snipped, gone, never again? I said, are you human? He said, yes, I am. I said, it's challenging. I said, tell me this. Are you doing it less often? He said, 
Yeah, I do. And you watched, he, for a moment, he fell free. But he goes, I still go back to it. I go, no, 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 hold right there. Don't go there. I go, that's good. I go, this isn't about perfection. This is about direction. And the reality is, you're heading more and more towards your relationship with Christ when you do that. Can anybody relate to that story? I can sure relate to that story. And the reality is this. We are human. We are easily bound in either the works that we create that make us feel like God loves us or in our bad habits and wrongdoing that we get bound in. We each get enslaved in either of those very easily. I want you to ponder it on your level now. Here's two questions for you. The good news is the first one you only have to answer right now and I won't make a share with anybody. And the second one, you have to hold the rest of the time until noon. You have to hold it for 20 minutes. The first one's this. Because I want you to, pr- I want to prove to you that God has set you free in many ways. And then I want you to understand that we're human and we're going to be easily bound. How has God rescued you from religion and or wrong? Sin. How has he actually freed you? Do you have evidence in your life where he has freed you? So, for example, growing up, I thought God loved me when I went to church on Sundays. Or I thought God loved me because I went to church on Sundays. And even after I came to faith in Christ and understood he forgave my sins and put the Spirit of God within me, I still would apply that regimen. He must love me more if I show up on Sunday. But that's flawed thinking. He loves you because of what's been done on the cross, not because of what you do. It's done versus do. And then I would apply that to my spiritual disciplines. I like discipline. Discipline kind of works for me just in my personality. doesn't mean I'm better than worse. It just kind of works. And so I got with men who would call each other at 6 a.m. This is before texting, okay? This is back in the 90s. And my wife would say to me, you better get to that phone before it rings a full ring. And so I would get to the phone and pick it up on the half ring, and then I would call a guy, and that guy would call a guy. And we were crazy disciplined and regimented about reading our Bibles at 6 a.m. After a while, though, I realized I was very proud of that. So in essence, that turned from almost legalism and works, working my way to God, to just pride, this other yoke that you put yourself under. And I would project that on people, and then that turned into judgment, because then I would subtly slide, slyly into a conversation and tell them about my Bible reading at 6 a.m. and how good that was and how you should do that too. I was just perpetuating this cycle that I was trapped in. Can anybody else relate to that? And the reality is, though, after a while I realized God doesn't want me to come to church and read my Bible so that he loves me, Because I understand his love, I want to come to church and read my Bible. Boy, that's a subtle shift. It's a really subtle shift and can be be tweaked the wrong way really quickly. How do you get caught up in religion? It's good to know. How has he actually freed you of that? Has he freed you of that? How about this one? Is there something he's radically a wrong that you used to participate in that he's just radically freed you of? that you just go, this is amazing. I don't even have the desire to do it. It just doesn't happen anymore. It's not part of my life. God just took it away. Is there something? That would be awesome to stop right now and get people just to share and share and share and share about that because it'd be true. Because it's true. I know you have those examples. For me, it was the issue with alcohol. 
come from this raging Irish Catholic alcoholic family, all right? At 14, you began to drink at family parties just because that's what you did. It was the subculture of what I lived in. It was awesome as a 14-year-old. You felt grown up, hanging out with my older cousins, 10-year span, 14 of us. It was awesome. But then you began to see the reality of that and how it was breaking down family in a lot of different ways. And in the end, there was a season 25 years ago where I felt like after I'd become a Christian, God was saying, you need to walk from this because these two things can't coexist in your life, me and the drinking. And he took it away. I, I, it was 99.8% him and then whatever was left in that percentage, me. I can't explain it fully. One day a guy in a Bible study says, hey, uh, I keep ending up on the floor. Uh, actually, on Wednesday nights, we used to do this on Monday nights. And uh, he goes, I need to stop doing that. And I was kind of wrestling with the same thing. And I said, uh, uh, what, do you do? what are you saying? He goes, I need to quit drinking. And I said, so do I. And when I said that, I went, ah, I wish I hadn't said that publicly. Because <laughs> then all the other legalistic guys like, you have a drinking? I'll hold you accountable to that. And I was like, I don't want that. Okay. But that was a game changer. I don't know how God did it. He pulled it, the desire out of me. Here's the irony. I've had four dreams in the last 25 years because as a pastor, it is terrible PR, terrible PR to be a non-drinking pastor. It is terrible. It is just terrible. You go to a party, hey, we want a beer? Nah. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is the biggest buzzkill for everybody <laughs> there, okay? So I used, to be, I used to start thinking, I should start drinking again. <laughs> and I'd even say it to my wife. But the Spirit of God has spoken to me, and I want you to see this, because the Spirit, God wants you free, Jesus is here to set us free, and the Spirit of God will put in your soul, I promise you, and guide you in what He wants you to be free of. Four times I've had dreams over 25 years about drinking. When I've pondered, consider drinking again. In those four dreams, I'm always inebriated in those dreams. And good things don't happen in those dreams. <laughs> and I wake up and go, okay, I guess I'm not supposed to be drinking. Because he is something that's better and more freeing for me. Does that make sense? I am so not down on drinking. I hope you drink well today at the Super Bowl parties <laughs> you're at. I hope you drink responsibly. Now I sound like a beer commercial. But I just hope, but, so I'm not down on it. But we all get enslaved to things, don't we? Same is true with the Galatians. And there's one primary passage that we want you to hold on to during this season because it's always been about freedom. Look at this uh, screen up top. It's in your notes. It's always been about freedom. In the Old Testament, it was about God getting them free. We've got to get to the next slide, Mike. In the Old Testament, it was always about God. We'll get to the next one. I'll come back to that. I'm messing you up. In the Old Testament, it was always about God getting them free. In the Gospels, it was about Jesus setting people free. In the New Testament, it's about the Spirit of God working in us and through us to help others be free. If you go back to the core passage, sorry, Mike, I got ahead of myself. This core passage, I'd encourage you to memorize and just just put it before you and God. God, what do you want to do with this passage? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
Now, this yoke of slavery concept has two sides to it. I've already described it, but let's look at a picture. When you think of a yoke, it's easy to go to the cattle, all right? But let's personalize it and put it on an actual man in that picture, all right? That's what a yoke looks like. Try to do life with that on your neck, all right? Try to walk with Christ with a yoke on you. I think it looks like the next picture. It looks like the yoke walk. Mike, go to the next picture for us. This is actually an event that people like to participate in. As you can tell, I'm not built for the yoke walk. Some of you actually are, all right? And this is one of the, one of the 10 events in the strongman, competi- strongman competition where they yoke as much weight as possible on them and begin to walk. What's interesting, this is how my buddy was doing his life with Christ. He'd been freed up, but he put on himself all these things he needed to do to get God's approval. And then, at times, he was wading back into his own sin, and it was weighing him down. This is what Christ wants us to get free from. And this is what Paul was concerned about the Galatians. They were, had themselves in this situation of the yoke of slavery. It's interesting to get the background on Galatians. Galatians. Galatians is the first New Testament book. Um, it's the earliest, one of the earliest books in the New Testament. It's a glimpse of the twisted beliefs of the early church. So in essence, the early church was given the gems of the true gospel, and then here's what happened. They began to believe lies. It's in essence, there was alternative facts given to them. That's the big, big phrase these days, alternative facts for falsehoods. All right? They began to believe the alternative facts, and it began to lead them astray. The culture was this. There were Jews who'd become Christians. They'd heard the gospel and went, I need it. You're saying I don't have to follow this mosaic law that helps me get access and to be approved by God? You're just telling me I have to believe in Jesus? But what they used to do is they used to put the law then on the new believers. Hey, you need to be circumcised. Hey, you need to follow this Jewish holiday. Hey, you need to do this. Hey, you shouldn't do this. Do you see what I mean? And then the Galatians were also being impacted by the culture. They were wading into the culture and getting stuck in what we would call hedonism, just like we do at times. We just don't call it that as much. In the end, Paul's very passionate and he's very intense. And he's saying to them, I was with you. At one point, Paul was sick and they cared for him. And he doesn't want them to be yoked. He's on this rescue mission. If I had to convey what the point of Galatians is, I would do it actually through words. Look at this next visual of all the different words in Galatians. In the book of Galatians, these words, and they're on your sheet, are the key words. And this is, a, this is, this is how early on I learned to study the Bible. If you're new to study the Bible or old and need a fresh way, just take your Bible and start to circle the common words. And I promise you, it will just rise up and embed your soul. And you will get what God is wanting you to hear in his word. So for example, this book's about the true gospel and about being free to live under the true gospel. Gospel just means good news. This book's about being rescued from the law and works and living in faith. This book's about not listening to the alternative facts in your own human head and in the other humans around you. This is about big words like justification. Justified just means that justice has been served. There's nothing more that you need to do for God to love you. It's been done on the cross. It's another about another big word, righteousness, that God views you 
as seeing sees you right just where you are. This is about how Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar actually have influence where they were told this story that there would be this promise and that they would receive this from God and so are we. This is about being redeemed. Redeemed means to be really paid for. This is about the battle of the spirit and flesh. This is about one of my favorite words, not used very much, but adopted. Have you noticed there's a lot of families in our community that adopt? And I mean specifically in the PCC community. It wasn't always like that. I've watched it over the years just grow more and more and more. And here's what happens with adoption. Sometimes when I ponder and adopt a child, it's mind-boggling. Because I think, what if they hadn't? That child's life would be so different if they hadn't been accepted with doing nothing into that family. And then sometimes I turn that parallel myself. What if that hadn't happened to me? If God hadn't just accepted me just by faith into his family? And I see the parallel where they'd be totally different and my life would be totally different. The adoption concept is so subtle and so huge in here and speaks to how much he has done for us. We are his children. We are not a slave. There was this promise. He is the seed. The law, they use this term in Galatians that the law was a guardian. And this gets confusing, but I'll bring it simple because I like things simple. It says the law was this guardian that was going to be with us to protect us in the Old Testament. So we knew the moral right thing to do until another time came where one would come and we would become then a full heir. And that guardian we'd no longer need because the heir had come and explained the fullness of who we were to him. And that was Jesus. It's powerful to ponder that the law is good. It shows us right and wrong. We need a moral code, but we live under freedom and grace because we're an heir and we have all access to what's possible in our adopted family. Imagine like when adopted kids, so often adopted kids reject their parents. They reject their parents. And isn't that what we do? We're like, no, God, we're not going to do it like that. I'm going to make up my own list of rules, and this is how my religion will work. Or, oh, God, no, don't tell me not to do that. I got this. I can dabble over here, and then it causes destruction. Adoptive parents just want their kids uh, to feel loved and accepted and experience their guidance. So it is with God. So it is with us. Remember my buddy? This concept of how much he was loved by God really kicked in when he had kids. He's like, my kids won't obey my rules, but I still love them. My kids get themselves in such messes, okay? But I still love them. Hey, Bri, this is how God feels about me, doesn't it? Yes. In the end, it's really about grace. Paul's really passionate about this. I want to jump in and I want you to see in Galatians 6. If you read Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 6, it's going to come up on the screen. Let's just, I'm going to read this out loud. You'll see the core problem. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion with alternative facts and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Pervert there means reverse. They're trying to reverse the truth. But even if we or an angel from heaven could preach a gospel other than the one 
we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. He's hacked because he's saying, no, it's this way. And you keep thinking of it as this way. I want you to see um, the reality of the twofold problem. There's two problems that he's pointing out in Galatians. They're both sides of the yoke. The first problem is this. He spends four chapters, well, three and a little bit more, saying you guys are caught in obeying rules when God wants a relationship with you. Let's look at these passages. Go to Galatians 2.16. They're caught up in rules and work. And we're going to read one, two, three, four, five passages right now, and I want you to figure out which of these passages touch you the most. Then I'm going to show you four more passages with the other problem. And I want, so I want you to walk out of here with two passages that you go, I'm intrigued by those or they touch my soul. So here's the first about how they're caught up in the yoke of slavery, of works, of legalism. The first one. So we too have put, on, put our faith in Jesus Christ that we, we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Look at the next one. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't need to set aside the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. That one strikes me. Because it's saying, if righteousness could be gained through the law, we don't even need the cross. Don't we often act like this with God? We make our checklist of what we think is good Christianity and we think we're good with him because that's what we do versus, no, it's already been done. Look at this next one. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit, you're now trying to finish this thing by means of the flesh. You're trying to do it on your own. Look at 326. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. I love that one. It's so simple. Look at Galatians 4, 8 to 10. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved to them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons, and they're feeling like they had to be circumcised they put themselves under this fake religious law. My friend had to come to terms with this, his dad issues to realize God loved him. He had to come to terms with the fact that he was fully forgiven and he didn't need to do anything. My friend had to actually come to terms with just the fact, and I love it in these verses, that he was fully loved and he was fully known and fully accepted. That's a tough one for most of us. Look at this next problem. Which of these passages stands out to you the most? The problem here is just they get involved with wrong. Right now we're going to identify some of the wrong we get into. I won't make you raise your hand when we read any of these. Okay? I didn't make you tell me about how, what legalism you create for yourself. Okay? And I won't, tell, I won't make you tell us how you, what wrong you're in, but I want you to identify it so you can get more free. So... Look at some of these. Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So we have freedom, but we know we can take it too far. Just like we need rules, right? And we actually need some structure in our lives. 
having a Sunday that you can come to to be remembered of the goodness of God called the Sabbath that showed up as a rule as the guardian of the law is good, but it's even better when you come because you, you love God and you want to praise and worship Him and learn from Him. But just like the tendency is we can go too far and just do whatever we think we should do because we have this freedom. The next verse says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Isn't that the truth? And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in a conflict with each other. If you feel like there's ever a battle going on in your own heart about your flesh, it's true. And then look what it says. So that you're not to do whatever you want. Can you imagine if you just do whatever you want? We often do that. And where does that lead us? Well, it hurts relationships. It hurts ourself. And after a while, you're isolated. That's what's powerful about that. It's so subtle. Now here we're going to identify some acts of the flesh. Pick your favorite act of the flesh that you get caught up in. The acts of the flesh are obvious, it says. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. I mean, you just make an idol, and that's what, you actually live more for something, someone, more than God. They're your idol. And witchcraft. I'm not into witchcraft. I've never been into it. That doesn't hit me on this list. Most of the others do. Hatred, discourse, I can relate. Jealousy, been there, still can be there. Fits of rage, everyone should raise their hands. Selfish ambition, dissension and factions. That's just not being united with people. Envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, but those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not saying this, because my friend fell into this. I still do this, I must not be a Christian, God's not going to accept me. Now, that line is for those who are like, I don't care, I will never acknowledge God, I'm going to do whatever I want, this is my life. Yes, those people will probably not inherit the kingdom of God. However, the person who says, I do acknowledge God and what Christ has done and how he wants the Spirit of God to live in me, but I am struggling with this, this is hard for me, I do find myself here, God, guide me through this. That's different. That's where grace plays out. Look at the last line, Galatians 6.18. Or actually, going back to the Galatians uh, 5.19-23. But let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, which is forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. And then the final line from Paul, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. So we need our core verse because it reminds us that God wants us to be free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And now I want you to self-identify. Where are you? Your sheet has it. My friend, if I go back to the story, I just said to him, stay in relationship with God. Keep talking to him. Sometimes you do that by reading and listening to him in your Bible. Sometimes you do that uh, by going to a church gathering and praising him. Sometimes you do that by being around people. But stay in a dialogue with him in the middle. Do life with God by faith. Experience his grace. Deal with his truth. That's where freedom lies. Don't get pushed to the edges where you do whatever you want 
because that's about you, or you make up all your rules, that's about you. Those are slavery. So can you just take a moment right now, take 30 seconds, where are you enslaved with legalism, regiment, rigidity? Where are you enslaved to just the opposite? This is my life. I'll do whatever I want. I don't care. Take a moment, write something down, get it in your head. My challenge for you in these next 10 weeks is to memorize that verse, Galatians 5.1. And then methodically meditate on this book. Take the passage that we mention each week and use this discovery Bible tool where you just sit before God, you rewrite the passage, the main passage, what's ever mentioned that week. This week it was Galatians 5.1. You rewrite it in your own words. And then there's an I will statement. Based on this passage, God, I will. And then they encourage you to tell somebody about it. If you do that, I believe you will begin in a simple way to walk more in freedom. And then will you take this prayer with you? God, help me to be free and just let it finish. It's a good prayer for me when my kids are coming at me with a lot of requests and I just want to get impatient and go into a fit of rage. God, help me be free to receive my kids well right now. When I sit up Monday morning and everything seems overwhelming and how am I going to get through this week, God, help me be more free knowing that I'll take this one thing at a time with you. When I find myself back in my whatever or feeling like I'm not good enough because I didn't do my list, God, help me be free and just know I'm loved and fully known. That's a good way to live. God, we acknowledge this. As we head to communion, may we just celebrate and be in awe of the mystery. In Jesus' name we pray. listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.